0: So before we get started, I want to say, say one thing, and then I'm going to read something to you. Um, I, uh, I know sometimes I can go a bit uh, too far with ideas, and, and I, can, I can get a little too philosophical sometimes. Um, so I intentionally try to take, uh, on, on a daily basis, try to take the text to a place that's easy to grasp, But also easy to grasp for you like tonight and tomorrow in a way that affects the way that you walk with the Lord. In a way that affects the way uh, you deal with issues that are probably very real and very difficult for you. Uh, And so intentionally try not to. So y'all have seen that when I try to go to Genesis all the time. Like I'm I'm trying to do so much history and y'all are like, okay, just enough of the history. Um, So I intentionally try not to do that. Uh, but tonight, I think the text is sort of calling for something different than that. Um, I believe the text tonight is calling for uh, us to go uh, sort of approach this mystery. Uh, and I think if, if we just take this mystery which is, which is the Trinity, which is God, uh, and his relationship to well sorry, his relationship to himself, which is just already weird. Um, if we just approach that, and I'm like, okay, here's how you think about it. Let's break that down, okay, and then let me just insert that into your life. I think that's not going to be as helpful uh, as us sitting in, just for a short time, us sitting in the mystery of that a bit, that God, in his very nature, from just from the minute he begins to explain himself, we're left with, Okay, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, I'm just lost, and I can't comprehend that. Uh, and I think I want to sit in that mystery a bit. And so uh, I think the text is calling for that tonight just for a bit. And I do want to land the plane, and so it's something that you can grapple with in your life. We're going to do that tonight as well. Uh, so it's going to be a bit philosophical. I just want to prepare you for that. It's going to be a bit like trying to approach some things that we already know that we can't understand. Uh, And and then next week, I really am going to take the time to unpack and apply uh, the following section of this text. So from what we looked at last week to what we're going to look at this week to what we're going to look at next week, there's sort of this thread running through there. And it's very intentional in the way that John is writing uh, this portion. I think he's intentional in every part, but he's very intentional in this part that I can see. Uh, And it's all going to be under the umbrella of that phrase that I used over and over and over again last week, which was, you have been saved, right, not to go to heaven, but to be a people of God who are alive with God and who cultivate life wherever they go. So we're going to look at that in sort of a mysterious way tonight, and then uh, next week we'll get to John 15, and we're really going to unpack that in a really practical way. So some of you like the idea of let's go philosophical, and you're like, I don't care about the practical, so tonight will be good for you. Or if you smoked a little weed before you came, tonight will be good for you. Uh, next week, some of you are like, okay, I'm joking, I'm joking. It's gonna, if you smoked weed, it's going to be terrible for you tonight. Okay. Um, <laughs> next week, if you're really not into that philosophical stuff, so, okay, next week will be a little easier for you. So just, I'm just letting you know that from the beginning. So in the spirit of that, um, I, want you to, I want you to read. This is probably my favorite author Um, And I think she just drops us into this idea of mystery Better than anybody that I've ever read So uh, just listen to this It's going to be on the screen too so you can follow along She uses words I don't always know what they mean Uh, So just we'll get past that What do we think of the created universe Spanning an unthinkable void With an unthinkable profusion of forms God is subtle, Einstein said But not malicious. Again, Einstein said nature conceals her mystery by means of her essential grandeur, not by her cunning. It could be that God has not actually created everything and removed himself, but that he spread. Spread as our vision and understanding of the universe has spread to a fabric of spirit and sense so grand and so subtle. So powerful in a new way that we can only feel blindly at its hymn. In Job, it says, God made the thick darkness a swaddling band for the sea. God set bars and doors and said, Hitherto shalt thou come, but no further. But have we come even that far? Have we rowed out? to the thick darkness, or are are we all playing pinochle in the bottom of the boat? We don't know what's going on here. Our life is a faint tracing on the surface of a mystery. We must somehow take a wider view. Then we can at least wail the right question into the swaddling band of darkness. Or if it comes to that, choir the proper praise. I, I don't really want to explain that. There's so much in there. I don't want to explain that anymore. And then tonight, I want to take a few minutes to, like she says, just sort of blindly feel at the hymn of the way that God has revealed himself. Just sort of blindly feel. And like she says, that we can approach this thick darkness, which is the nature of God. And wail the right question in or at least choir the proper praise instead of like I think she says is right what I do. I think we often do instead of playing pinochle at the bottom of the boat. So uh, I'm going to let you know that as we get into this, uh, I'm going to just I'm just trying to trying to understand some very difficult things to understand. So uh, let's start reading. We have a lot of ground to cover and I have promised some people that I won't keep y'all 50 minutes anymore, ever, except for sometimes, but not tonight. Okay, so we're in John 14. We're just plugging along. So we're in John 14. I'm going to start in verse 7. I'm going to read the whole thing because this is going to be all over the place. And typically when Jesus talks, I don't understand what he's talking about. Um, and this is the, very much the case in this, in this section of text. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read all the way through it, and then we're just going to break it down as we go along. So starting in, in verse 7 of chapter 14. This is coming on the tales of last week where him telling the disciples, I'm about to leave, uh, and then that very famous, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. And then he, and then he jumps in here. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. "...whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him." Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, "...Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world?" Jesus answered him, "...if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him." because I think we've raised enough questions. If you listen to even half of that, you're probably going to be like, "What?" So, uh, I'm going to jump in the first part and let's just let's just jump through this really quickly. Okay, so starting again in 7. Uh, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, "Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us." Jesus said to him, "Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip?" Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? Okay. Um, th- let's just start with the last thing he said. Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? Okay, so Jesus throughout this text is hinting at this relationship, with, which is the Trinity, He's really bringing this thing to light. So if you know what the Trinity is, if you've been in church a while, you know what we're talking about. We're talking about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so we're all cool with that until we start thinking about it. Like the Trinity's fine as long as you don't think about it. But then when you start thinking about it, you're left with all these really weird questions, like the ones he just brought up. Like Philip is sitting there like, so he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then Philip, because he's a human like me, is like, Okay, show us the Father, and that'll be cool with us. And then, and then Jesus is like, no, you, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And, and I'm in the Father, and the Father's in me. Which that, on the outset, just doesn't make any sense at all. So, just to stay, take a step back and talk about the Trinity for a minute. We are talking about, we're talking about a being who is God... But who says, I exist as three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All three members are distinct, so the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father, and the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Father is not the Holy Spirit, but all three are God, and they're not separate, but they're distinct, and they're one, and they're three. Okay. You see. Okay, so he's at the outset saying, I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. Okay, well that doesn't make any sense either. So I was talking with my friend Sean P. this afternoon and he gave me the, the best analogy for this. So we're talking about the Trinity and the way Jesus is talking here, he's like, he says, he goes like this. So basically what he's saying is, take the ball, put it in the box, now take the box, and put it in the ball. And then remember, the ball and the box, they're the same thing. They're not separate. They're one. So somehow the ball goes in the box. So somehow Jesus is in the Father. But then also at the same time, somehow the Father is in Jesus. What is he talking about? Like that, that what are you talking about? So if you, if you know anything about this, the church as a whole met I think four times. They met seven times total, but four of those seven times, uh, from, from the time Christianity became legal to like the 700s, they met to only talk about this. And, and they would, the whole church, the worldwide church, would get together from all these cities, the archbishops and everybody would come together, and they would talk about the Trinity, and they would talk for like weeks and weeks and weeks, and they would come away with a paragraph that's like, We believe in the Father and in the Son. And the Holy Spirit. They are God. And then you're like, go on. And they're like, that's it. We're not saying much more than that. So somehow, God puts himself forward in this way. And somehow Jesus comes and he's using, and I don't know, I don't know any other way to, to say this, so I call this, entanglement language. He's using this entanglement language that's very non-concrete but very, very meaningful in that he's saying, I am so much a part of the Father and the Father is so much a part of me that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, but I am also distinct from the Father. I'm not the Father. I'll pray to the Father and the Father's doing His will through me and that's all happening, but if you've seen me, you've seen Him. We're so entangled we're so, so all I can do is sort of, this is this entanglement language we have no concept in the known world to try to explain this we're just sort of left like, like Annie Dillard says we're sort of blindly feeling at the hem of this Like just using words just robs us of meaning from the outset so he's using this entanglement language to say that he and the Father are so much a part of each other that if you've seen one, you've seen the other. And then he's going to say something else really beautiful. You're going, to see, you're going to see this bounce back and forth in this text all night, right? You're going to see this bounce. And the bounce is Jesus and the Father are the same. They're one. And so what happens is, we'll jump in at verse 10. What happens is, uh, do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? So entanglement language. The words I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works entanglement language leading into this other point. Believe me I, that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So he's saying we are so entangled that the Father is actually manifesting his works through me. So he's saying look at the works and then believe. If you can't understand that, which is fine because he knows we, sh- we can't understand that, then believe on account of these works because what he's saying is I've been raising the dead and I've been healing the blind and I've been doing all of these things that are so miraculous, you can't comprehend what's going on. So just understand that the works are the product of me being entangled with the Father, the God of all creation, in some way that you don't understand. And the only way I'm really going to put it is, I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. So he uses this entanglement language to lead to, he manifests his works through Jesus, And then you're going to get to this really ridiculous idea, followed by two more very ridiculous ideas. The next of those ridiculous ideas. So entanglement language leading into the works. And then the works, he's going to, he's going to keep on that idea of works, right? So we're jumping in at verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Okay, uh, y'all, most of y'all, I don't want to, you know, put anything on you. Uh, Most of y'all believe in Jesus. Have you raised anyone from the dead recently? Healed any blind people? Uh, Made any lame people walk? Gar? (laughs) No, not yet. Okay, coming soon. Um. Whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. And then he says something more ridiculous than that. And greater works than these will he do. Okay, so we're left with, I'm entangled with the God of creation in this way you don't understand. And and what happens because of that is these works just come out of me. I raise the dead. I heal the blind. I heal the lame. And then you, if you believe in me, will do those same things. Better yet, you will do greater works than Jesus did. Do you believe that? Yeah. I'm like, okay, I'll I'll believe it. You're scaring me though. So the question that should be coming up in your mind is, I probably... Can't say it in here, but like, what the heck are you talking about? What? How on earth is that possible that I would do the works that you do, Jesus, and greater works than these will I be doing? How is that, how is that possible at all? That sounds ridiculous. So then look at, look at the way this develops. It's quite beautiful. Uh, we're going to jump in uh, at seventeen. Uh, sorry, 16. Uh, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another help, helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Okay, so what was weird about the Father and the Son, that entanglement language? Jesus starts using that same language here, but not about himself and the Father, but about the Spirit and you. And you're going to see how this progresses. It's not going to stop here. Jesus is going to take this entanglement language and then begin talking even crazier. So you're saying, how is it that I'm going to do the works of Jesus, even greater works than these will I do? And you're like, how the heck is that going to be possible? And then he's going to say, he's going to start using that entanglement language again. So he's going from this entanglement language to the works he did, to the works you will do. How will I do those works? Well, because the Spirit is going to be with you and in you. This is the same language John was using at the very beginning of his his book in John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. So in the beginning, as soon as he starts talking about God, you got this weird entanglement language. And then now he's taking that entanglement language and extending it to, he, to you, to us, to those who believe. So that the spirit will be with us and the spirit will be in us producing these works. Okay, and you're like, okay, that's weird and I don't get that and I don't understand that. So what's, what's going on there? I, I want to I wanna highlight one, uh, one thing more. Um, So let's keep going because he's using that entanglement language about you and the Spirit. And then he's going to take that a step further. And then he's going to say that entanglement language is about the Father and the Son, the Son and the Father, and then the Spirit and you, and then you and Jesus. So he's like, I'm in the Father. The Father's in me. You're in me, and I'm in you, and the Spirit's in you, and is with you, and Jesus is with you all at the same time. So the entanglement language no longer is just about the Trinity, which is weird. Okay? So... I will not leave you as orphans, verse 18. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, I, Jesus. Jesus is in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. But remember, the Spirit's in you also. I don't know what he's really talking about. But the more I like, tried to wade through this idea, the more I realized it's not good that I don't get that. What he's saying is Jesus, when he goes, like we talked about last week, Jesus is going to prepare a place within the Father's household. And he's doing that by dying on a cross taking the sins of you and me, dying for them, and then clothing us in his righteous, perfect life, which brings us into the Father's household. But then he's taking that a step further, and he's saying you're not just a part of the household. Something else is going on there. The, uh, The Reformers called this union with Christ. This is something very weird where the nature of the Trinity, which is all this entangled mess, is together, and then Jesus is saying, because of the Spirit, you are being drawn into that relationship. You are being drawn into the relationship that the Father and the Son share by the power of the Holy Spirit. So a lot of people try to explain that by saying the Spirit is actually the personification of the love that the Father and the Son have for each other. And it's so powerful and real that that it bursts the Spirit. And I won't say birth because then, then that's heretical. It's always been there because they're all eternal with each other. Okay, so this is being extended to you to where you're drawn into what Peter would call in 2 Peter the divine nature. What? By believing in Jesus, the Spirit indwells you so that you are becoming part of the love affair of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So this eternal being who's been in I say in love with itself, but there's no other way to put it. They have always been in community. The Father loves the Son and will do anything for the Son. The Son loves the Father. The Spirit loves the Son. The Spirit loves the Father. The Spirit illuminates who the Father is, Spirit illuminates who the Son is. So there's this crazy relationship working together and then you're extended and drawn into that. So when I was talking about last week you've been called to be a people of God who are alive with God. That's exactly what I mean by that. The Spirit because of what Jesus has done and this never was possible in history before has been extended to you to draw you into unity with the Trinity. You've been drawn into relationship with the Trinity. And so these early crazy guys called the mystics who were sort of cool, but sometimes took things too far, they would always explain it like, you are going to be like a drop of wine in a vat, which is God himself. And then everybody since then was like, no, 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 that's too weird to talk about. That's too weird to say things like that. Because we don't we are being drawn into God, but we don't lose our personhood or our distinction. We're just being drawn into this beautiful relationship that is supposed to produce the love and good works that are greater than Jesus' love and good works. What? I'm sorry. Like I don't have many answers. All I have is a lot of questions. That's all I really have is a lot of questions. But in some way, if we can drop everything about this Christian thing, if we can just drop everything for a minute about what it is, what it means to be a Christian, how you're supposed to act, what you're supposed to do, what you're supposed to think, how you're supposed to dress, who you're supposed to date, who you're supposed to not date, if you're supposed to drink, if you're supposed to smoke cigarettes. I don't, if we can drop all of that for a minute, And just like forget about that for just a moment and realize something much broader and deeper and more meaningful that the Father, the one member of the Trinity, has sent His Son, another member of the Trinity, to draw you into a relationship with Him that is supposed to empower and lead and permeate your entire life. That you would literally... Literally experience, literally experience God himself as you're drawn into him more and more and more and more and more over the course of your life. This is what the reformers called union with Christ. It's something much more right and real and biblical and deep than I asked Jesus in my heart and now I'm saved, now I'm going to heaven, now tell me the rules I'm supposed to follow and when I'm supposed to go to church. You're literally being drawn into the experience of a God who is a consuming, passionate fire and who wants to do exactly what Jesus says here. Manifest in your life greater works than the life that Jesus produced. That is crazy. That is weird. And so I'm hoping we're left with a bit of like but I want to drop down real briefly. Um, and I want to read through sort of the rest of this text and just look again. Okay, so what exactly is the Spirit doing? So you're talking in all this crazy language about union with Christ and being drawn into the Holy Trinity. Okay, so what does that look like tomorrow and today? What is, it, what is he talking about? And he's going to trot that out a little bit. He's going to trot that out a little bit. Okay. Uh, We're going to start reading in verse 22. Uh, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? So we're going to begin talking about the Spirit. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Okay, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, so I give. Okay, my peace. peace. I, so the, the, the Holy Spirit's going to come and teach all things that Jesus taught. And then he says, I'm going to, in this way, give you my peace. So something we need to, like, what exactly is the Spirit doing? The Spirit here is conveying the love of the Father and the love of the Son to you and to me. Conveying the power and the authority of of the son and the works of the son to you and to me conveying the will of the father to you and to me in the same way that he, con- he conveyed that to Jesus. So so this is a big idea that all that Jesus did while he was on the earth he did in the same way that he expects us to do and that is by the power of the holy spirit according to the will of the father. So most of us attribute all of the miracles and everything to the fact that Jesus was god. But the Bible doesn't use that language. The Bible uses the language that by the power of the Holy Spirit, according to the will of the Father, Jesus just walked in daily obedience and what daily obedience produced was powerful manifestations of the Spirit and powerful movements according to the will of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, Everything that Jesus did, he did by the power of the Spirit. And that's why he can say, you will do the same sort of works because that same Spirit that guided me is now being given to you because you've been washed clean. You can receive the Spirit, and the Spirit is actually going to do these things. Convey the love of the Father. Convey the love of the Son. Convey the will of the Father. Convey the direction of the Father. Convey this power, right? Like the Spirit is doing all of these things. And the expectation that we can understand from Jesus and that we can understand from Paul and Peter and all these guys who are writing who walked with Jesus is the Spirit should be producing in us the life of Jesus. And what I mean by that is not... What I mean by that is the same way that Jesus felt secure in the Father, we should feel that security in the Father. And the same way that Jesus approached every single minute of every single day knowing My father loves me. He's going to lead and guide this, and I'm down to submit to his will, and he's going to do good things for the good of these people and for the glory of his name. And that that life should be being produced in us, that sort of peace. So the guy that discipled me, he would say Jesus is a non-anxious presence. Jesus is not fretting about what he's got to do tomorrow, what he did yesterday, what he's about to do. He's literally walking in the constant love, affirmation, will of the Father by the Spirit, by the Spirit, by the Spirit, by the Spirit, constantly, without interruption. And you see the life of Jesus, and it's so different than all of our lives. You see it, and you're like, what? Who was this guy? All that's possible because he was God, and the answer is no. All that's possible because he was God empowered by the Spirit, according to the Father. And he says that is how we are supposed to be walking, filled with the Spirit, according to the will of the Father, being conveyed the love, being conveyed the love, the will, and the power of the Spirit. Okay, so I think the big thing I want to like bring to light there is, yeah, one, the expectation that we would drop these ridiculous expectations about what Christianity is supposed to be and all these rules you're supposed to follow and then adopt something more simple but also something much more life-giving and much more beautiful. And that is what I talked about last week, right? You are a people of God who are alive with God, producing, cultivating life wherever you go. That's the same idea here. And this is going to trot out until we get to John 15, the same idea So, I think a huge question that's got to be asked at this point, a huge question that must be asked at this point, if you see that it is the Spirit who conveys the Father's love, it's the Spirit who conveys the Father's will, it's the Spirit who conveys the power and authority of the Son, are you like me? Are you like me in that confusion about the spirit and misuse of other people by the spirit has turned you off to the idea of the spirit are you confused and unclear about the spirit the role of the spirit who the spirit is because if that's the case the fallout is tremendous the fallout is tremendous The fallout from being cut off from that idea is that you don't receive the love of the Father. So you can talk about it and believe about it and just like say, yeah, it exists, it exists, it exists. But yeah, I still like am in this cycle of of a depressive state. I'm still in this cycle of something I can't get out of. And it's really because I come here and worship and sing these songs, but I've never experienced the love of God in my entire life. So again, like I said last week, experience is not everything. It is not ultimate. It is not defining. But it is something. It is something. Experience should corroborate what we believe. We believe the Father loves us and is going to guide us, but you've never sensed the love of the Father or the guiding of the Father. Okay, there's a good chance it has nothing to do with the Father, but by way of the Spirit, because there's confusion about the idea of the Spirit and because maybe because of misuse seen by the Spirit or or seen in the name of the Spirit, you've cut yourself off to the idea of the Spirit. That is a huge thing to consider. That is an enormous thing to consider. Because if you don't consider that, then you're probably considering something else. And that is that you are constantly doing something wrong. And that if you would just get right that God would just pour his love on you. And so you're constantly thinking and wondering, am I doing something wrong? What have I done wrong? Maybe I should do something right. And so where it should be about this beautiful, free obedience to the Father, and he's leading me into life-giving works for the glory of his name, and for the good of me and the people around me, it's not like that. And you're so consumed. What do I need to do? I'll do whatever you say, God. I'll do whatever you say, God. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it, God. Just make this better and make this different and make this different. And so if you cut your eye, if you cut cut yourself off from the Spirit, then that could very easily be the result. Very easily. Because it is through the Spirit, is what it's going to say in Romans, it is through the Spirit. The Spirit bears witness to your spirit that you are in fact a child of God. And so I think a lot of us, if you're good and you've gone to church for a while, you've adopted a different way of testifying that you're a child of God. And that's by conforming your actions to a certain code. You are constantly asking, God, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? I want to prove to you that I'm your child. I want to prove to you that I am your child. I want to prove to you that I am different. I want to prove to you that I'm part of the kingdom. I want to prove, I want to prove, I want to prove. And the whole time, God is saying it's the spirit who bears witness to that. So if Jesus is saying he's going to produce these life-giving works through you, I want to say one more word about that. And this is really just like where we're going next week. This is really just a teaser. and We're going to talk this out till you're blue in the face next week. These works that are to be produced, these works that are are to be produced, I think a lot of us carry around the notion that they're burdensome and that they're heavy and that you really don't know what God has for you and you really don't want to know what God has for you because you're afraid it's going to be crippling to you and it's going to be so difficult and so hard. And some of you even think it's just like, all right, if, if I say the word evangelism, like, hey, go talk to somebody on campus about Jesus. I think the first thing that comes across, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. What's that going to look like? What's it going to be like? I, you know, I just want to make relationships. I'm going to make friends. And then through friends, I'll sort of slip in Jesus sometimes. And so we've sort of, created a way that seems easy for evangelism. I'm not saying that's wrong. I think that's actually very good. Uh, but the point being, we approach what we believe to be the works of God in front of us with a great deal of hesitation and with a great deal of anxiety because some part of our mind says, I know I've got to do these and I know I should want to do them and I really need to show God that I am his child and that I want to follow, but this whole thing is so freaking scary to me. And so you literally, in anxiety, turn away from every life-giving work that God would want to do through you for your own good and for the good of his people. Turn away from it because of anxiety and because of fear and because you don't know how this is supposed to play out. You don't know what it's supposed to look like. And so life is just sort of this, I know it should be better. I know it should be good. I know I should be something. And I'm sure God's pretty upset with me right now. And I'm sure God's pretty upset with me right now. And the only way you know to fix that is to try to fix yourself. And I would say in one minute, the Holy Spirit has been given to you for that reason, to bear witness about this specific thing. You have been accepted into the family of God, into the love of the Father, into the relationship of the Trinity. You've been accepted in that based on the death of Jesus and his life not based on your own doing. So if you constantly entertain the notion that if I just get better and I just do better and I just get this thing down, that God's going to look at me and smile and I'll be his child and everything's going to be right in the world, you'll never get there because you're still approaching God on the basis of your working and you're not approaching him on the basis of the life and shed blood of Jesus which is where we should be approaching, because the life and shed blood of Jesus is what cleanses you, clothes you in his righteousness, accepts you into his family, and fills you with the Spirit. Okay? So I would say that briefly, and and we're going to trot that out, like I said, as deeply as we can go next week in just the most practical way of what does it look like, what does it really, really look like to be the people of God who are alive, really alive, not just surviving, but alive, in communion, alive because the Spirit indwells us, so loved by the Father and pushed forward by the Father in the authority of the Son by the power of the Spirit to be alive with God. That's what I mean. And cultivating life wherever we go. I really want to walk that out and, and just lay that out in a way that really is easy. So Uh, So that's where we're going. I know we were sort of up in the air tonight, and hopefully it left you with a bit of questions. Hopefully it left you with like, okay, God's weird and crazy, because that is in fact true. He is both weird and crazy, probably weirder and crazier than you can imagine.